Welcome into a special edition of the Big Red Louie podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Lane, joined tonight by my, my usual co-host, Alex Stangle. How are you, dude? Hey, good evening, Jacob. Happy Saturday. It's a super-duper weekend. We're joined tonight by one of my favorite guests and one of our good friends, uh, Keith Wynn of, of the Card Chronicle. How are you, Keith? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? You know, I'm actually doing okay considering the circumstances. The, this has been one of the, the crazier weeks of quarantine uh, as it kind of comes to a close in my household. But uh, I'm doing okay for a weekend. Alex, how are you, man? So I've been walking Tilly a lot more uh, as of recently since this has all went down. And we have this two-mile walk around the soccer stadium, which is really cool. But today it was very sunny and like 80 degrees and humid as shit because it had rained like all morning. I thought my dog was going to die. And she has been knocked out for like the last four hours. It's been amazing. It's been a very peaceful evening um, in my household from a long walk. And I got some sun. So apparently that's like every article that says when you need to cheer up during a pandemic, just go outside and get some sun, get get sunshine. So Keith, how are you you doing? How's your family doing? How have things been going for you the last couple of months? Family's good, man. We're just uh, hanging in here, just uh, trying to do the best we can. You know, it's always hard with small kids because, you know, they don't really get that you can't go do this, you can't do that. But, you know, it's kind of nice. You know, we get out in the backyard a lot and kids can play. Our next door neighbor has a kid around the same age, so they kind of play through the fence and stuff. So it's been cool, you know. Uh, it's kind of nice to spend more time with the family. You know, yeah. So busy and whatnot. So that's always a really good part of it. Fun fact for the listeners, they, I don't think anybody knows this, but Keith and I discovered about eight months ago that we are actually next-door neighbors. He's not talking about me yet. We have not been able to make it across the street to get our kids together. I've got a two-year-old, and I think you've got a, a four- or a five-year-old, correct? I've got a, I've got a nine-year-old and a almost two-year-old. Almost two-year-old. Okay, I was way off on both, so somewhere yeah. in the middle. But, yeah, we've, we've been talking about trying to get together, and right as we started to kind of get plans the first time, obviously, quarantine happened and – not much we could do there. So we're going to we're gonna try to revive maybe sitting at the end of our driveways and having a conversation here soon. Yeah, definitely, but, man. It's, well, it's kind of crazy. Super small world how we figured out that we were neighbors just kind of like literally step by step. Like, oh, you know, like, yeah, I didn't have to drive too far. I was like, oh, where are you living? And like yeah, right. back and forth, back and forth, back and forth until we figured like, out like, oh, oh snap. Wow, street from me. Okay. <laughs> it's still so wild to me. Yeah, I, I am not great at meeting neighbors. Never been a strength of mine. I've always thought it was weird growing up like as a kid when my mom would talk to the neighbors. I don't know why. I even had a friend that was a next-door neighbor. But as I've gotten to be an adult, talking to the people around me, it's just – it's always icky. Like it feels weird. It yeah, feels like I should never come out and talk to anybody. Yeah, definitely. We have weird neighbors too. Let's, let's <laughs> just be real. Let's there be are some rather interesting people on our street. Alex, you've been here a couple of times, but you've seen the neighborhood. And, and the neighborhood name alone, which I'm not going to say, gives you everything that you need to know in terms of the kind of people that live there. Yeah, but, exactly. But anyways, I digress. Let's let's talk about what you came here for, which is Louisville football. There is a number of different pathways we could go here to start a conversation because, for me, Louisville basketball, the way that the season ended being canceled – it just it didn't create as much talking points as Louisville football has, considering we got a full season, we got to see a postseason postseason victory. But we could go a number of different ways here because the the program is just like stock rising at a crazy level right now. Um, but I want to start with 2019. I know we've we've all kind of written about this and we've talked about it every which way and we've done everything we can to kind of break down the season. But when you look back on on that run of eight wins, what is the, what's the one thing that stands out for you? You know, for me, it's, it's the offense. You know, it, it's 
It's unbelievable. You know, I wrote a lot. I watched so much App State before last season started. I uh, really wanted to get a really good feel for the offense and or not really just the offense, but how these guys coach and what the system and scheme was going to look like. And my biggest concern was that while it was a very good offense, it really wasn't explosive. So you had this run first offense. They get a lot of big plays out of their running backs, but, you know, Louisville's strength was the receivers because, I mean, Bobby Trino really liked receivers. So we, right. we had a really good group. And I was really concerned on how they were going to, how they were going to use those guys. And, you know, it took a little bit, you know, it took about a quarter of the season for them to really kind of get the passing game going. But once they did, it was just unbelievable. I mean, you go back and watch those games and it was really, they manipulated defenses so well with their run game where you had to try to guard Des Fitzpatrick or Tutu Atwell with, you know, one guy or with a safety or with a linebacker. And that's just impossible. So I really right. love that. And it was really exciting. Um, it really bodes well for the future. I think it helps recruiting. I mean, there's so many aspects of how well they played on offense, how many guys they have coming back. But when you watch all of that, it's just it's really exciting for the entire program because nobody nobody really likes a boring offense, you know. But when you have the exact opposite, and it's just this huge exciting offense, I think it was great, and it really made the season a lot more fun. It really did, and it's interesting because I would have never expected their offense to have been high-powered passing. I really expected Hassan Hall to be kind of like what Javion Hawkins ended up being, right? The guy who became one of the top ACC players. Uh, and then it just kind of pivoted last second. I mean, it, you, you're, you've written about this several times, but the staff talks about how they didn't know what they had until, you know, maybe Notre Dame, Eastern Kentucky, when they're like, okay, all right, we can roll with this. Yeah. Uh, so to see the passing game – kind of emerge especially considering the quarterback because it, you know we we thought it was going to be Juwan Pass we wondered about Mikhail Cunningham like could he be the guy maybe and the way that it played out just kind of perfectly you know at the expense of Juwan Pass suffering an injury but Mikhail Cunningham came out of nowhere and all of a sudden went from a guy that we thought was maybe just going to be a, a run guy all the time and never be able to throw the football maybe Terry Wilson type guy uh, but he emerged more into Lamar Jackson in his in his you know Heisman year in terms of passing. I mean, he he showed the ability to move the football, but and we yeah. weren't sure if that was going to be able to happen. And I think you know what was really impressive. They get to third downs, and he became a a really productive guy on third downs, which is really the hardest. That's the hardest uh, situation for a quarterback is getting in those third down situations. Everyone knows you're passing. You're going to have a pass rush in your face. And he did a really good job of, of improving as the season went on, of, of finding the right guys, knowing who's going to be open before the play started. It wasn't, hey, i got to go through reads. It was, I know this guy's going to be open based off of what I'm seeing. And that's a really big step. I think that's what's most exciting for me with him going forward. Yeah, Alex, jump in. What do you think? Well, I, I, I told you, like, my most cringe – like hated stat ever uh and i'm sure like keith probably retweeted it too when it came out just the fact that mikhail was so so damn close uh to getting that you know one of the most efficient passers in the country uh but like he what was it he was one, one pass, pass one pass short yeah it was in the fact that like that kind of threshold uh even exists i mean i understand it but it's also devastating when your quarterback comes up one pass short of landing right behind joe burrow Who's not that bad? So the I, thing about think, that stat, not to not to play devil's advocate here, but the one thing about that stat is how many passes Louisville had that were the the toss shovel pass behind the line of scrimmage that he got credit for, 
where he yeah. probably shouldn't have. If you're really talking about that's a running play in my book, but they're counting it as a passing touchdown, which I understand. So you can kind of go both ways with that stat of being like, well, you know, some of those probably shouldn't have counted anyways. The best part is that happened so many times. Me and Jacob even started taking it for granted because we would be standing in the, in the in the stands and see that pass go down another, you know, 70-yard uh, just straight touchdown. Uh, and Jacob, <laughs> instead of like cheering, Jacob would look over and be like, I mean, should that pa- like should that count as passing <laughs> yards? You know, like we're not even excited anymore because it happened so many times. Like the first time it was amazing and we're like, oh, wow, okay, this is going to be creative and, and interesting. And by the sixth game or seventh game, he's like, I mean, should it count? I mean, you know, Look, it might you weigh the stats a little bit here. The I don't way know. that Madden works, right, which is that's where my football expertise comes from. You have a jet route, which is or the jet, you know, sweep where the, the quarterback hands it off to the wide receiver and it's a rushing play. And then you've got the that where they toss it and it's a passing play. Like, how are we going to how are we going to go that way? Give one passing yards, one rushing yards, whatever. Like, it is Louisville fans. Louisville fans literally by the end of the season looked more shocked when Tutu didn't score a touchdown on those plays. <laughs> Like when he didn't just break it all the way, we're like, "Wow, okay." It's just unbelievable. I mean, the the amount, the level of speed that he he gets immediately. Like he doesn't. It takes like two steps, and he's at top speed. And you've got these guys trying to chase him down, and they've got the angle, or they think they got the angle. And the next thing you know, he's just running past him, and he never even looks like he's trying. No, that one they always show. He's fifteen yards ahead of somebody. Like, I mean, it's crazy. It's like he's jogging. I forgot what team we were playing, but like that that play they always show where like it was a beautiful pass uh, by Mikhail. I but, think it was I Syracuse mean, was the one that was just way middle ahead of the of middle of the field, and he's nowhere near. Uh, he's he's running past a freshman All American. Like Andre Cisco is a very good player. He's not he's necessarily insane. a fast guy, but it's not like he's a just a regular guy that's just good. He's going to be an NFL player one day, and Tutu's just he's just jogging past him like it's nothing, man. I, right. I think he's just it's, it's unbelievable. But to, no, your else point, I think my biggest worry was that, uh, you know, I, I did text Keith quite a bit before the season, just one out of concern once he started posting about like how run heavy the offense was going to be and, and all that. And, and here we have, you know, Des coming back and, and all these awesome guys. And then all of a sudden we have a, our first 1500, you know, plus yard receiver in, in how many years combined with uh, a 1000 yard rusher for the first time in, in a decade. Which, by the way, I don't know if you guys saw the updated weights uh, or how you know accurate they are since everybody's remote. Hawkins is up to 196 right now on yeah, on U of L's website. So yeah. that dude is just literally 200 pounds of just energy and muscle. I'll say this running, now. I'm gonna say this field. now. He, you've got Hawkins and you've got Tutu Atwell. Neither guy will be back next season. They'll be 2020 will be the last season for both of them. There's no reason guys who the biggest concern for me on both of them was weight and Tutu yeah. Atwell went from 155 I think is what he played at last year 150 to 165 I think he's got to probably get up even to 170 to be a slot receiver in the NFL but both of those guys are going to have monster seasons and at that point two years in a row of doing it why come back for a third like you've proven everything you can go get paid well I think especially I think their size actually plays to the reason of why they might want to go early I mean well, J.B. and Hawkins, you're just putting more miles on yourself if you're, as a running back. I mean, those guys should always leave early, even if you're not projected to be a top pick. It's just, it's just, it, you're all. It's all about longevity. And if you're taking another year of hits, more and more carries, it's just not a from a business standpoint. It's not a good idea. Okay. Uh, well, side you, note. Hold on. Pause that. So, what do you think about the Colts then? Because I, w- I never, I forgot to text you about the the Jonathan Taylor pick. So, with the Trishan, like you're talking about. 
is 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 he because that's the big concern is like awesome running backs but then how long do they last because he's got you know so many carries already in in college well you know and one thing for me is i think running style matters a lot like i look at a guy like todd Gurley. He's, you know, he's already he's not healthy now, and guys are wondering how long he lasts. And you look at his running style, he's a tall guy, he runs upright, and typically those guys don't last as long. Jonathan Taylor's a little bit shorter. He's He's got a lot of girth on him. I, you know, it's, it's tough to know, but he took a lot of hits. So yeah. I don't think any running back, I don't really trust that any running back going to the NFL is in a good situation from a standpoint of mileage. I mean, those guys have been taking hits for years, and it's really, it's, it's a toss-up. Yeah. Well, coming from a team that that you know wasted first round draft picks on Trent Richardson, um, you know, it doesn't it doesn't totally shock me. But all right, back to uh, back to Louisville. I, I was just curious on your on your running back opinion right there. You make a good point though about how many carries they go, and you got to think of a guy like Jonathan Taylor. He or Taylor, he got carries probably his freshman, sophomore, junior season. Whereas Hawkins, he's got that red shirt year in there. And how yeah. many how many guys do you see come into a program? They sit their first year, they come in, they ball out as a red shirt freshman and a red shirt sophomore. They're like, I'm gone. I've proved everything I need. I don't have a ton of carries. Let me go off to the NFL. Here's the thing about Hawkins, and I think this is a good segue to the, one of the questions I want to ask you. I think that it was one of the things that, it, again, if I'm playing devil's advocate here, of one of the things I didn't like about the offense last year was the inability to pass the football to the running backs. Mm-hmm. I think Louisville was probably – I would be willing to bet you that Louisville, if you took out Marshawn Ford and you don't count him as a running back and you count him as a tight end, Louisville was probably the, the ACC's worst team at passing to the running back. I think they maybe had nine or ten catches between Hawkins and Hall. I think that that was a, that's an area where Hawkins, he's going to have to show that this year if he's going to go to the next level because he's a smaller guy. No NFL team is going to want a five, five foot eight, five foot nine guy, you know, getting the ball 25, 30 times a game. He's going to be a situational player because of how fast he is, maybe a third down back. It'd be nice to see him be able to get a little bit more out of the backfield. To you, what was the most discouraging thing or the thing that you, you thought that you wanted to see more of? You know, it, it's tough because I I think the defense was just at a disadvantage from the get go, but I guess I guess if I'm being honest, the most disappointing fact was that they're at such a disadvantage because of depth. I mean, you know, they just didn't have enough guys, and I think that the scheme. There were times we saw it work pretty well. We saw it work very well, just a few times. But you know, as the season went on, the hard part for me was that. I can understand why people were so down on the defense, but you had guys that were just playing so many more snaps than you would want them to play, especially in the system that is just so aggressive. And, you know, you hear that a lot. Every defensive coordinator says we're going to be aggressive. Well, Brian Brown is really, it's go, go, go. Um, and I think that was kind of the hard part. Um, you know, so it was tough watching these really good players, guys like C.J. Avery and Dorian Etheridge, that just really couldn't get things going. And you see these, you know, these running offenses just run all over them. You know, it was tough, uh, but I, I do think that that will improve. But that was a hard part for me because I think they're better defense than what they showed last year. Alex, what do you think? If, if you can pinpoint one thing that you thought you wanted to see more of, or, or maybe maybe even put it this way that you hope to see more of in 2020, what's that one thing? Well, to kind of piggyback off of Keith's point, I think, uh, you know, for one, we still have to give that that unit a lot of credit because he moved so many guys around before the season even started and and they did excel at their positions but I mean how Keith like how many guys did did Brian Brown move um you know that that they weren't playing the same position as they were the year before I mean it was insane 
Um, so I mean, you had the same. Levels. I mean, all yeah. three levels, you had guys that, that were in different spots to, to this past year. So, yeah, you're right there. Right, and I think the staff also did a, a pretty good job of, of trying to set expectations right up front because they were pretty transparent about the you know the, the lack of depth, especially up front mm-hmm. on the defensive line, and that's what's plagued the team for the most part, especially in in you know the way keep you you initially explained Brown's defense to me and how it was unique, and that's why you said you know they're going to struggle because they don't have the right guys at some of these spots, you know, like they're trying to. Um, but we just didn't have the depth up front and, and the right kind of uh, depth that Brian Brown was probably looking for. Because these guys are looking for unique, uh, a unique style to fit their, to fit their uh, defense. You know? And the same thing on the offensive side of the ball. But, I mean, it, yeah, they're just going after the, the players that fit them. And, and Brian Brown had to make it work with what he had last year. So. You know what's weird, though, is if you really think about it, I would say overall you could, you could peg a lot of the guys that Petrino – recruited to to maybe you know maybe size more than anything fit right because you had guys like outside linebacker nico kiki pj blue what are the odds that you have two outside linebackers coming back for satterfield who are both brought in because they were fast linebackers like that's what bobby kind of bobby there was pieces that you know they might not have been in the right position and they definitely weren't coached well so let's start there but they 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 had more players fit than i think we thought they would now, some of it took like a C.J. Avery, let's move you over from outside linebacker and maybe inside linebacker because you're more of a tackler. Rajay, the, the, the Rajay Burns one was the most confusing up front, but it made sense the whole season long because he was dynamic there. And, and now he could play linebacker safety, you know, in the NFL. I think he's got that kind of talent. But, you know, it just felt like the, some of the players, you know, at the end of the year, you can look back and say, maybe they fit better than I thought they did. There was a little bit there, and I, I think really the big thing was that I think they're top. They're 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 the top of the depth chart was fine, like it wasn't it wasn't you know unbelievable by any standard, but they were fine at the top. It was once you got past those guys, and there's just there was just there were positions where there just wasn't a guy there, and when you can't even go too deep at certain positions, that's just it's 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 unattainable. You can't really uh, expect a full season to go by. And be able to handle that because you have guys that might not. I think one thing that kind of gets lost is I think we look for like injuries, and guys yeah. aren't always injured, but plenty of guys are playing hurt. And when you're playing hurt, you can't play a full game. You might be able to go, you know, seventy five percent of the snaps and be fine, but once you get past that, you you know, it's just it's hard. You're 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 wearing down as the game goes on and as the season goes on. So I think that was kind of the big thing, and I think we saw that as as the season went on. That's when you saw them start giving up. These, you know, a lot more run plays. That that's when you can really tell when a defense is out. When you can't stop the run, that's usually just effort. Guys, from a mental standpoint and a physical standpoint, just can't handle it. And you know, we saw that as a as a year went on. I think against Mississippi State, we saw a well-rested team come out against a Mississippi State. Doesn't have an unbelievable offense, but Joe Moorhead is an offensive coach. He's a really good offensive coach. You go back to Penn State when he had Saquon and all those guys. He was really good there. He's going to be really good out, and I think he's at Oregon now. I mean, they, they have talent on that offense and a couple NFL guys, and they handled that offense pretty well when they were well-rested well rested, and guys were able to recover. But when you don't have two and three deep, you're, you're, it's just not going to work in the ACC. It's, just, it's not really you know realistic. Yeah, so that's a great segue into talking about the offseason because Mississippi State, you're right, the one thing – people always want to point out it's mostly UK fans, but people want to point out is, you know, Mississippi state was missing, you know, 25 players, 
you know, they were missing their quarterback, blah, 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 blah. Players sat out. I understand that. But Mississippi State had a ton of guys get drafted. I mean, I think they, especially on the defensive side of the ball, and guys go and, you know, sign undrafted contracts. They're an SEC team who play three, four deep at positions, and their fourth deep player may be better than Louisville's backup. Like, that's it, that's yeah. just the way it goes, right? So yeah, these, teams, but, these programs have talent. I mean, they, you miss a guy, and you're, you're able to plug in another guy like it's nothing. And the Mississippi State could do that, obviously. Exactly right. So let's move into the offseason and talk about offseason, you know, transfer pickups, talk about the recruiting class. Uh, if In your mind, if you had to grade, and, and let's include coaching in this, right, because keeping your coaches on staff, that's a big deal, being able to have continuity. And that's a that's just as important in some situations as recruiting players is being able to say, hey, you know, we know you have this position, coach available at another school, they're going to offer you more money, but stay here because of this. In your mind, what's the offseason grade for the, for the program, all of those things considered? You know, I think it's great. I think the recruiting class is is solid. Um, they were able to get some guys that I think will be able to be able to play uh, right away. You know, not necessarily starters, but guys that can come in and provide depth. Um, and they were able to fix the numbers. So that was the biggest concern for me is that they were the numbers are so off with the program and the roster that they had to fix that quickly, but not do it recklessly. You know. An easy way to fix your numbers is to get a bunch of JUCO guys in, you know, and say, hey, all right, we're, our numbers are good. We've got guys that can contribute right away. I, I like the fact that they chose not to do that because eventually those guys have such a short amount of time in your program that all of a sudden your numbers are back off again in two years. So I was happy they were able to do that. They took some flyers on some guys that maybe, you know, didn't have the power five offers and whatnot. It's fair to take, it's fair to take issue with that. I personally don't. I, I like the guys that they got. I think they all fit. Uh, but you're 100% right on the coaching. That, that's all. The, that's what really matters, especially early on. We're going to have the same defense coordinator for the first time in God knows how long. All of these guys are getting the same coaching. They, they're able to replace Dale Jones with a guy who was a defensive coordinator at his school. I mean, you, you can't get much better. Than, and, and on top of that, I think Derek Nicholson, as a fit from the coaching standpoint, how he fits with the group, I think is great. But on top of that, I think he's going to be a better recruiter. And if you can bring in a guy who he was the top recruiter in the uh, conference, conference USA, USA yeah, he mm-hmm. he knows the northern Florida area. He can get into South Georgia. They have him in Louisiana. I mean, they're able to recruit now a little more broadly. And you have a 33 year old coach who gets it. He's going to be able to relate to these guys. Right. No knock on Dale Jones, but Dale Jones was by far the oldest coach on that staff. Um, and you you have to wonder if that if that hurts him in recruiting from a relatability standpoint. So I like I, I won't call it an upgrade because I don't you know, we don't really know what goes on in practices and whatnot. But at most, they held serve with the one change they had to make. So uh, I think it's really great. I think the 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 off the field guys that they added. Uh, helps a lot. They're down in Texas now with Vijay Stingley, a guy that's a, you know one of the quality control guys that, that came on. He's a wide receiver coach. Now they're down in Texas. They're sending out offers there, and they're getting actual feedback from those guys. And, you know, if you can broaden your, your recruiting base, that, that's always a plus. So I think that's the biggest thing. Uh, they need continuity. You look at how Charlie Strong was able to turn things around when he was here. That was personally what I think was the biggest factor that every year he had the same guys and players came back doing the same things, having the same expectations. You know, that stuff matters when you're talking about young guys. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's one of the things that was really great under Strong. 
not so great on Petrino, and I think that was a factor in how we saw things turn out. Right, and I think that's honestly, besides the the more balanced roster on both sides of the ball, especially on the defensive side of the ball, but um, I think that's what I'm personally most excited about is just the continuity piece because we haven't had that uh, on, well, one, just as a whole, but two, especially on defense, you know, so when Satterfield talked about starting, you know, a new, you know, his second off season and talking about how much quicker as a program they are, because, you know, they've already had guys and and all these things are already instilled in them. And so even when these new guys come in, there's, you know, the team is going to, you know, get them right into shape on how things work and how things are done and expectations. Uh, But he said, you know, the first, um, you know, a couple of weeks of practice was just, getting the foundation things corrected or, yeah. or even putting in the foundational things. And, and so even back to Jacob's point of, of, you know, uh, Hawkins is going to have to catch the ball a lot more out of the backfield. I think they just didn't have a chance to really put in another wrinkle of the offense last year because um, they had to make sure they had the, the foundational things that Satterfield does uh, down well. And that still got us, you know, seven to eight wins. So who can say like this year is going to be, you know, we're going to see, maybe a whole nother level of the offense that we didn't even know existed because he just didn't have a chance to have his guys come back and already know how the, the foundational part of the offense works. Well, I think, I think one thing with that, uh, Dwayne Lefford has been quoted multiple times now saying that more or less they were really vanilla on offense last year uh, right. because, you know, they, they just, that was just the way they were. And I, I think you go to that Notre Dame game and I, I, I pointed out a lot because it's still so crazy to me to just hear coach so transparent about things when Satterfield was just like, yeah, we had no clue what our offense was going to be like, but then we, we got the game going and it was like, all right, we got some here. And it's like, it's so crazy. Like just that, that just pure honesty is just insane. Cause most coaches, the ego comes in and it's like, we totally expected this to happen. And it's like, they're like, yeah, no, we have no, we had no clue that it was going to be that good. Um, and I think that was great, but Ledford has made it really, he's been open about the fact they were really vanilla. I think we'll see more there. I think we'll see more, with other receivers outside of Tutu. I think that was one thing that they kind of lacked a little bit last year. I think there's a there's a possibility we're going to see a lot, lot more with that offense. And that's where that continuity comes in because everyone is on the same page from, you know, from, from the end of last season going into spring and all this time in the summer, they, they, they know what they're all doing now. So I think that's a great part of it. Right. So, I mean, the, and okay, so if you want to break it down a little bit more, I think what one of the most exciting parts I'm I'm personally uh, gung ho about is, is the running back core, and it was kind of weird. I think I saw a tweet earlier. I forgot who it was from, but it, it listed like the he somebody gave uh, some national you know football guy listed his top five running back cores coming back, and and the list was kind of surprising because Kentucky was on there. I think they were like three or fourth, and I didn't realize how good like a running back core like they have coming back so but either way like we haven't seen Aiden Robbins really have a chance yet we know Hassan Hall and and his weapons on especially on special teams um and then you got Hawkins so I mean I think our stable of running backs is going to be you know just as dangerous if not more than the wide receivers we have so I mean when you're talking about people saying like what the hell is Louisville doing on a on a top offensive efficiency list coming back or, you know, the top offenses uh, scoring, all that kind of stuff and, and all these predictions. Well, that's because we had the stats last year to back it up uh, and all the weapons are coming back. 
Yeah, and I think that's the big thing is that they still have guys that we haven't even been able to see yet. You know, with Aiden Robbins, I mean, they're, they're really high on him. And I, I'll be honest, and I've, I've made it known, I, I don't mind saying this, I didn't really see it in high school. I thought he was a better linebacker. Uh, I didn't really see it as a running back. Um, like, you know, it, like the ranking showed and the, the offers and whatnot. But I got to see him at that spring showcase they did last year. Um, and I was I was really surprised. Like, he really – he wowed me. And so did Jalen Mitchell. I think that they're both um, a little bit better than I thought they were going to be. They're bigger guys. And at App State, they never really had those big 220, 230-pound running backs. So I was really kind of concerned about that. But really, if you get these guys in a type of shape, and it's really about reading blocks and things like that, you can really you – can, you can put any back in those situations. I mean, we talked about Todd Gurley earlier. When he was with the Rams, they ran the same offense, that wide zone offense. And Todd Gurley obviously was really good in it. So you don't right. need a small guy. Uh, but I was kind of worried because he didn't really fit what they did at App State. And some of that might be just because they had a limited recruiting base. You know, you, you can find faster guys much more easily than you can find really big running backs who are also fast. So. Uh, yeah, which, by the way, this year's draft should totally shut up any remaining Satterfield recruiting uh, haters because, yeah. I mean, the dude just showed once again, uh, even, you know, from a team uh, that he's not even with anymore, just how good of of I, um, how good of talent they can identify on mm -hmm. both sides of the ball. Because, I mean, what, they were the first team ever uh, first to team have... Belt, uh, two, two draft picks. Yeah, uh, the highest Sun Belt draft picks. You know, you can go on and on. And I think right. you know, like you yeah. pointed out, it's not just specific positions. You know, usually you have teams that are really good at, at identifying maybe quarterbacks or offensive linemen or whatever. But honestly, even just not just their guys that were drafted over the last few years, the guys that got picked up after the draft. You look at they have cornerbacks, they have safeties, defensive linemen, offensive like every position honestly, outside of quarterback, and quarterback's actually been a good spot for him. So I think it's been great to see, for people to be able to see that you don't necessarily have to have these highly rated guys across the board. If you right. can identify talent and then also develop it. Um, you know, Darrington Evans, which who got picked in the third round by the Titans, he was a zero-star recruit out of Florida. I think his only other FBS offer was Army, off the top of my head. Uh, but he can run track. And if you can get a guy that runs a four three eight, yeah, you, you'll figure out what to do with him. But they brought him in, they put him in receiver. They kind of, you know, say, hey, you know, we'll put him here. We don't really need any running backs. Well, they lost their starting running back in the middle of the season, and they just plugged him in, and he ended up running for a thousand yards himself. So they're able to really get guys. They 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 know what they're looking for, and I think that's the big thing. Uh, is right. if you know what you're looking for, and you can identify those guys. And then that's that's another thing where that coaching continuity comes in, where everybody's on the same page. That's where development comes in. It's not just specific positions. It's the whole culture thing. Guys have to understand that you're bringing in guys, and coaches know that how to get guys to work hard and things like that. All that stuff matters, and I think they do a good job of it. Yeah, I yeah. think you're you're spot on with that. And there's number a number of players you can point to in the recruiting class for 2020 where you're like, yeah, that 
that's a bit of a question mark in terms of talent level for what you would expect at Louisville. And then you hear them say, well, he's going to go at H-back and he's going to play this specific role and he's going to play this and he's going to play this specific role. And, you know, Coach Ledford saw this guy and was like, holy crap, you know, give me two years and we can get that guy being this. It makes sense. Uh, but you you can't make a class out of that. There's no way you can take 25, 26 project players. you got to have guys who you know are going to come in and ball out right away. So in your mind, if there's one guy from 2020 that is going to be – from day one, he's going to be really good. I'm trying to think of somebody that was really good day one. Des Fitzpatrick was a redshirt freshman, but he comes to mind as being from the first game of the season, you know he's going to be one of the big factors on the team. Is there a guy from the class of 2020 that you see being that? It's, it's, it's us because I'm picking the, the guy at the top of the class, but Cam Wilson is going to be a guy that we're going to see play immediate minutes, whether it just be special teams or whether it be situational stuff. I think he might be a guy they use on third downs as a pass rusher because he's got that experience in high school, uh, and they really struggled on the pass rush last year. Uh, he's a guy that, I mean, you turn on his highlights, and it was immediate. I mean, immediate. First couple of plays, you're like, all right, yeah, they got a steal on this guy. Um, and I, I think that's great. I think another guy that might – push for playing time as a freshman uh, is uh, Austin Collins on the offensive line. Um, they don't really need help on the offensive line, but they need depth. They need guys that if someone gets gets injured or if they do kind of rotations like they did at center last year where they want to get guys more experience or just change things up, I think he's a guy that's, that's flown on the radar a little bit. He was all state in Ohio last year after he uh, transferred from Kentucky. Uh, I think he's a guy that's going to be able to come in whenever you know everything ramps back up i think he's he's got the that that Dwayne Lefford mindset the the aggression of violent play uh, and i think he's athletic and i think he, you know he's a guy that i think we'll see out there a little bit more uh, on the offensive side of the ball but you know when it comes to guys that i think that hey they got a steal here and we're going to see this guy and he's going to be the kind of focus of that recruiting class cam wilson honestly by a mile i think he's going to be a really 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 good player for us well, and even you talking about uh, Austin Collins as well. I mean, like, they have a couple legit tackles. Uh, and I just, you know, guys for the O-line for years to come. I mean, even in Trevor Reed and, and Luke Kandra. I know so many people have talked about Luke Kandra being, you know, uh, you know, the next, you know, Eric Wood type guy that could just, yeah. you know, be here four years but be amazing for us. Um, but, yeah, so I, I think there's definitely some hidden gems on the last, on the last year's class. But, but yeah, to – to Jacob's point, um, you know, I think they're doing a great job of capitalizing on the success already of last year. Uh, and, and I know people see we've, we've kind of missed out on a couple, uh, you know, four stars we were going after. But I really think the you're seeing the staff, you know, last year there was a huge wave uh, of what? Like how many days in a row do we have a recruit uh, commit? Jesus. I think it was like – It was insane, great. yeah. It was insane, yeah. So, I mean, they're, they're kind of seeing uh, – thinking – you know, this is kind of the next, this year's wave, I guess, so to speak. Um, and we're already seeing that with, you know, Raheem Craig that just committed. Um, and apparently, there, you know, there might be a few more on the horizon in the next coming weeks. So we might see another huge, you know, kind of push, um, almost like a tip of the domino from, from just one or two guys. Well, I think, I think we got a little, you know, and I, I talk about transparency a lot because it's one of those things with this staff that I've really enjoyed I mean, Scott Satterfield, after the the, the past recruiting class of 2020 class, was very blunt. He said, you know, we're we're going to be upgrading the level of talent of recruit that we get in. You know, like, it's not that, hey, I'm unhappy with this class, but it's, hey, we can still do better. And I think that was, uh, that was obviously great to hear because 
they got good guys, and you know you don't want to take away from that. But there's obviously a need to improve that. You know they need guys that they need impact guys that'll come in and be able to push starters or potentially get on the field. But you also need guys that when you're adding to a position group, you can look into the future and say, okay, they'll be good to go for a couple of years because even after you know player X Y Z graduates, they've got this other guy coming in that should be able to develop and they should be good. Um, and I think, you know, so far in this next class, I mean, I couldn't be happier with the way they're starting it from a standpoint of, you know, not just the talent level, but also the fit. And I've been talking about fit since the staff took over because that was a huge issue with the previous staff. They would take guys that just were just, hey, we like this guy because he's a tall receiver and we like tall receivers. Or, hey, we like this guy, this offensive lineman, because we like big 330-pound guys. That doesn't work. You need guys that fit athletically and, you know, physically into what you do. And, you know, especially on the defensive side of the ball, they didn't really have an identity on defense. Uh, after, what, maybe Grantham's second year? After that, it became, you know, Grantham's looking to get out of here. You know, recruiting is really a – Petrino says what, what goes. It wasn't really a team kind of thing. So that's what we've kind of seen, and that's why they have so many depth issues on defense, is that they didn't really have a plan. And I know they have a plan now. It's, it's, it's specific, and you can see it with the guys that they're targeting. They might be giving out a good amount of offers, but there are specific guys that they're 100% in on, and it's, it's very obvious if you're really following recruiting. And we're seeing, the, we're seeing that payoff because they're getting guys that are going to fit what they're going to do. Right. Yeah, and so when you talk about some of the big misses that they've had, is is that something that worries you long term? Is that just that Louisville's only won eight games one year under a new coach? Like when you when you try to add that into the scheme of everything that's happened the last few years, and you know, obviously there's been a couple of really disappointing losses that you don't want to take on the recruiting trail, especially locally. But it happens when your program was two and ten two years ago. So is that something that you think will improve with time, or is that just uh, they're going to have to figure out how to make it work with low-level four stars and the best three stars they can find? Well, I think you know one of the things I've, I've kind of noticed, and I, and I, uh, the way I guess my thinking is. They're missing on the guys that are missing on a lot of them. They're missing them like, to top programs. Uh, not all of them, but you look at a Corey Kiner. I mean, LSU comes in, they win a national championship. You lose a guy to LSU, that, that's not something to hang your head over. Um, you look at some of the quarterbacks they missed on, and they're going to SEC schools or they're going to programs that are still doing well. They're a top 15, top 25 program. So if you're, if you're missing on those guys, that's not necessarily – a red flag to me. Um, I think it's, it's just one of those things where, hey, these these teams have something to sell to. Uh, these kids maybe want to go there for whatever reason. And, yeah, Louisville is still getting things back to normal. Uh, they still they have some selling points. I mean, these, these, these recruits look at Lamar Jackson as it's Lamar Jackson. So, yeah, that's something that's a selling point. Jair Alexander, some of these guys they put in the NFL recently is a nice sell, but you still have to – if you're researching Louisville – Two years ago, it went two and ten. I mean, that's just a matter of fact. You know, that doesn't go away. Um, so I think that is a factor. But I think the fact that they're they're in the top five, the top three of a lot of these players that are picking blue blood programs, I think that's a really good thing. I think you look at the guys they've gotten, whether it be Victor Brown or uh, Braylon Oliver, who have legit, you know, playoff contender offers, uh, and they're able to get those guys. I think that's important. Uh, but I, I, I'm I'm really big on fit, 
And I, I've kind of, like I said, I, I, I'm going to keep beating that horse until it's just, you know, extremely dead. But I think they really have to get guys who fit what they want to do. They're really big on the academic standpoint. Um, you see a lot of guys with Ivy League offers and, you know, Stanford and Duke and things like that. That's a really important thing for them. Uh, I know that is a that's just something I, I constantly hear. Um, and I, I think they have a plan, and I think it's you kind of have to wait to see if it works out, which is unfortunate because everybody wants to know, hey, they're going to get the four stars and the five stars. I just don't know if that's really realistic. If you can get guys at that high, high three-star level, maybe those fringe four-star guys that fit what you're going to do and turn into guys that you can develop, I, I think that's where their wheelhouse is. And right now, at least where they're starting off in 2021, I don't know if they can do much better than the guys they brought in so far. Well, yeah, I'm tr- I'm trying to trying to find this tweet that I put out a couple weeks ago, but I want to list off the names here because I think this is important. When you talk about recruiting and where they've won, defense is obviously where you go first. But I'm going to list off these names, and you tell me who who is the guy that is like the one that you're most excited about. So Zach Edwards, Jadarian Boykin, Henry Bryant, Levy Jenkins, Dorian Jones, Jamel Starks, Cam Wilson, Josh Minkins, Jared Dawson, Zay Peterson, Des Tell. Marvin Dallas, Yaya Diaby, Victone Brown, Braylon Oliver, Ben Perry. That's just those are the defensive guys that they've landed in in the last what twelve months, mm-hmm. and and it tells the story of everything they're trying to do as a defense in terms of taking the next step. Who's the one guy that's going to be the star out of that group? For me, out of that, out of those guys, I think Dorian Jones. Uh, he, he's a guy that I, I he's probably the guy in that last in his class that I was most excited about. Um, played at a high level down in Florida was a really highly regarded recruit from a standpoint of his accolades and whatnot. Um, and I think he plays the position how they want him to play really fast, really athletic, can chase down plays uh, and can also cover if need be. So he's a guy that at once CJ Avery and Dorian Etheridge are gone next year, they're going to need a guy that can step up and really be the guy. And I think he's that guy. I, I was really, uh, I thought it was really unfortunate. His first play of the season, he tore his ACL um, you know, but but apparently he's back to full strength already, uh, which is good to hear. So he's able to work out this summer. But I know the staff is high on him. But I, even my own standpoint, as a recruit, I thought he was going to be a really good player, and he just didn't really get to show it. Uh, but he's the guy that I think fits that whole thing. You know, the whole football IQ thing, all those things he, he kind of embodies. Uh, and I think he'll also be a guy that can get on the field a little bit more sooner than some of those other guys. Well, I think another good example uh, you mentioned to me about – about fit uh, specifically was was Henry Bryant because I think you said you know he would have had you know even more elite offers if he was just a you know a little bit taller yeah. and so to your point you know they're finding those kind of guys to where like okay like we shave a few inches off and then you know we actually get him as opposed to you know in Oklahoma or you know, some of these top schools, uh, you know, th- it's going to take a little more time to recruit against. You know who he reminds me of, and of course it's a simple comparison, is, is D'Angelo Brown. I mean, they're about the same really? height. You know, yeah, both, both 5'11". Both guys, don't have long arms and whatnot, but super disruptive, extremely high motor. I mean, you know, I, I get the I get the concerns on the fact that he's only 5'11". But if he's, if, if he's a legit 275, which is what they have him listed at, that's a that's a guy that can play around a 275 285 range. That is what that's about what they want. That's where Gigi Robinson was last year playing those. That's how they had him down at App State. It's not. I think you know. I understand weight is a big thing for people, and I, I understand it. But we're talking about sometimes five and ten pounds. That's not really a super substantial thing. If the the if they can really move with that weight, 
and be disruptive, that's what they're really looking for. And I, I, he's a disruptive player. I mean, that's exactly what that's what Jerry Goldwire is. That's why you hear so much excitement about him is yeah. that when he got on the field last year, he was extremely disruptive. And if you can do that, and he also made plays as a disruptive player. If you can do that and push guys around, disrupt the blocking schemes, and then also go out and make the play maybe and get a tackle for loss or drive that runner into another player, that's what they need. And I think Henry Bryant fits that. And I understand, like I said, I understand the, the concerns, but I just, you know, you watch these guys play, and I'm sorry, that, that to me, especially playing in a high level or playing against fairly talented players in high school, I think he did really well, and I think he'll be a good player for him. We're going to come back, and we're going to talk a little bit more Louisville football with Keith. Uh, we're going to take a deep dive into the 2021 recruiting class where Louisville has been on fire the last couple of weeks, picking up a handful of commitments. We're going to look at uh, a few players that are still on the board and who Keith likes uh, and discuss a little bit more about the 2020 season and what Scott Satterfield and the Cards have ahead.